So I got a phone call the other day. I was I was leaving the gym. Proud to tell you that. Um, along with everybody else that I won't see again in a couple weeks. And uh, and uh, I I leave the gym and and I get this phone call and and somebody tells me that uh, a very dear and close friend of mine's son is uh, very sick and has been uh, taken to the hospital and and needs to be uh, life flighted. And I said, okay, I'll pray immediately. That's my response, right? I will pray and I will find other people to pray to. And, and I, did, I did pray and, and other people prayed. And, and frankly, there's a good outcome here. God said yes, it seems, to our prayers almost immediately. Uh, what's so fascinating about prayer to me is that almost, almost all people understand that it is effective, uh, I think if you're not even a Christian, if like you're not a Bible-believing person, then you still, in difficult times, in hard times especially, you want to turn to prayer, right? I mean, uh, we saw it nationally after the Twin Towers were bombed in 2001. Uh, everybody, it seemed like everybody, was drawn to pray. That was just like the national response, even by people that, that you know, maybe had, had not prayed in the years before, years and years, maybe decades before, and, and they were drawn to prayer because there was something so horrific that it just, it, it, it made them think and believe, and I think rightfully, that they needed help that was beyond us. And that's what really draws us to prayer, is this recognition that so many things we face and deal with, we need a help that is beyond us, and I think we understand that, that there's only one real place that we're going to find this help that, that we desperately need, and that is in God. And so we, we believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. But at the same time, and this part's really weird, prayer is super hard. And, and it's one of the few things in my life that really should be easy that isn't easy. I, I said this before in years past, been a long time, but you know, kind of these two disciplines that we that we think of as, as really key to the spiritual life in Christianity, prayer and reading the Bible. Reading the Bible has always been easy for me. I like reading the Bible, except for like, you know, book of Leviticus maybe, but the rest of it I like reading and I enjoy it and there's good stories and, and I'm drawn to understand it, but prayer is like this thing, it, it feels like working out, it feels like going to the gym, and, and it's funny, it's strange, like why is it such a hard thing to do? Why is it so difficult to pray when, you know, the way that prayer is often described, and I, I think it's more than this, and, uh, and so don't quote me on this. This isn't how I define prayer, but, but people always define it as just talking to God, right? And like, how hard is that? How difficult is that? But it seems like it's hard for people, and most people don't do it as frequently, as consistently as they want to, or as long as they want to when they actually do take time to pray. Uh, I was trying to, to think of an analogy, and I had this crazy analogy in my head before, uh, before I came up with something better, I think, where I was, I was picturing prayer as like somebody hands you gold in the middle of a forest and says, you need to dispense this for good, but you have to always hold it in your arms, and it's this giant thing of gold, and I know by your eyes that's terrible, but uh, like it's a terrible analogy, but then I was thinking about the Bible, and, and there's this story that that I think illustrates 
the difficulty of prayer really well. And in the book of Exodus, I'll show you a picture. In the book of Exodus, there's this story about this man named Moses. I don't know if he actually looked like this, but this guy named Moses, and and he's the leader of the Israelite people. And, and down in the valley down here, they're, they're having a battle in this story. And, and the battle is raging on. And the, the Bible tells us that as long as Moses kept his arms up in the air, the Israelites were winning the battle. But when his arms would come down, the Israelites were losing the battle. And, and to me, I think it's a great illustration of, of prayer. We understand, I think, that God says yes to a lot of our prayers, and that when we're praying, it, God is moving. I, I, this quote that I love, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. We sense that God does something when we pray. We can see how God acts in miraculous and supernatural ways when we pray. We sense that we grow closer to God when we pray and that we are better people than we when we pray, but sometimes it's like we're holding our arms up and the battle's going well. The battle all around us but we just over time it's like I just I just can't keep them up anymore it's really hard and today I think we're going to see an answer uh, one of the reasons it is hard and also an answer to how we have help in in the difficulty of prayer starting this series today you saw the video uh, and it's called pray and 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 that is because I'm just going to tell you the main point of of the entire series right now it's pray uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, this is why we're doing this series, he, he says this really clear thing about prayer. And this is what I was interested in. I wanted to know, what does Paul say about prayer? Several years ago, I preached uh, about what Jesus had to say about prayer. It is the most important sermon series I've ever done for me, at least near the top. I go back and I listen to it, and I'm not that vain to do that normally. You know, I'll listen to it to critique myself, but I go back and listen to the series just to, just to be impacted by what God taught me through that series. And I thought, I want to know what Paul says about prayer. I, I, I'm interested in that started to flip through uh, his words on prayer in the New Testament. And what I quickly discovered is that the key driving force, the, the key theme, the key thing that Paul says is, is this, ready? Pray. Over and over and over again, he says pray. Now he says reasons why, and we'll look at some of those, and, and he kind of shows us what's powerful about it in certain places. But the overarching idea in the epistles that Paul wrote about prayer is that we should be doing it and yet it is really hard for us to do. Let me just tell you a, a few reasons I think it's it's hard and this is not an exhaustive list. I think we could all come up with a, a much better list than what I'm about to give you. We could probably list a hundred reasons that prayer is hard but here's the things that came into my head as I process, processed it this week. First, uh, we just don't feel like we have enough time. And, and that's becoming more and more true, right? I don't think it is more and more true that we have less time. It's just more and more true that we feel like we have less time because we are now surrounded by reason number two, and that is distractions. There's a million things now, a billion things now, that we really feel like we need to do. Like we need to see the, the next game, and we need to see the latest TV show, and we need to go do that thing during you know the holidays that everybody's doing these years. And I mean, there's all of this stuff. And, and so we, we didn't, I mean, prayer took time 
time anyway. And if, you know, you lived 150 years ago and you were farming for all your food, it's not like you had an abundance of extra time. But now you couple that with all of these distractions and I think that makes prayer just really hard. I think there's this other thing that I think is often the excuse for why people don't pray more. And it's this, I don't know what to pray. That's what people say. I don't know what to pray. And so you say, I'm going to pray. Let's, uh, let's pick a number. I'm going to pray 10 minutes every day. That's my New Year's resolution. And, and you get two minutes in and, and, and you're like, I don't know what to pray about anymore. I feel like I've prayed about everything. And so maybe you don't know what to pray, but I think, you know, given all the shootings that we've already prayed for this morning and all the things that, you know, uh, the, the idea that we might go to war, uh, all of the things around us, there's tons of stuff to pray for. And so I actually think that when we say we don't know what to pray for, it's actually that we're overburdened with too many things to pray for. And really what we're saying is, I don't know what to pick to pray for. Because like if you tried to pray for everything, it would kind of feel like you're praying for nothing, right? Like you would just be, you just say like, I don't know, God stop shootings and God end world hunger. And you just go down this list and it would like, you'd never go any deeper than, than this really quick, throw it out and move on. Because 10 minutes a day or an hour a day or 10 hours a day or 24 hours a day is never going to be really enough prayer time to pray for all of the things that we are now because of the uh, internet bombarded with on a daily basis. And, and it's not just the worldwide things, right? Like, I, you know, I kind of read in Little House on the Prairie. We're listening to it with my kids in the car. And so it's kind of few and far between when they're in the mood. But, but man, if you, lived, if you lived 20 miles from a neighbor and it was just you and your family, like you'd pray for your kids, you'd pray for your wife, and, and you'd pray that your animals stayed healthy and that the crop would be good, right? But now, like everybody we know, we're connected to. And, and so, like, we could pray just for people on social media all day, every day. That could be all we ever do. And so I think sometimes, maybe if you've never prayed much, then you, then you maybe start with like, I just don't know what to pray. And that's, you grow into that, trust me, just start. But then over time, you're like, there's just so much that I, I don't know what to pray. It, it kind of ends up being the same thing. I just don't know what to pray anymore because there's so many things. And, and on top of this, I think if these kind of were excuses, shoving these excuses down and, and trying to penetrate them into our hearts is is this dark forces that we believe as Christians exist. I mean, the Bible says that our, our real battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against, you know, being tired or putting away the distractions. The real battle is against Satan and 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 uh, the demons that work for him. And I believe that that the the darkness that exists, the evil that exists and we don't think of evil in these terms. We think of it as big, bad things. But like the evil that exists just wants, to, just wants to impress upon us. You don't have enough time to pray. It wants to distract us. I mean, how many times do you sit down to pray and your phone goes off, right? It, it, wants to, it wants to tell us that we don't know what to pray for and so we shouldn't do it at all or there's too much to pray for, so what's the point? And, and that makes it really, really hard, much harder than it should be considering we often define it as just talking to God. And so I think that that we, especially who are Christians, but maybe even you who aren't, we're like Moses with his hands up in the air, going, I I know that when I pray it's good. But man, it's really hard to keep my arms up. I'm just tired of keeping my arms up. And the passage that we're going to look at today, as I said before, tells us one of the reasons that prayer is hard and then it gives us 
a really good reason for continuing to do it anyway. And here's what Romans 8.26 says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The same way points to something that's already been said. You should just read the Bible like that. If you see therefore in the same way, you should look back and, and actually see what's been said just before it. And in the same way here, it points to, to this idea that, that hope is what sustains Christians in the midst of their suffering. We all suffer, we all go through hard things, and the thing that gets us who are Christians through is the hope that we have, the hope that God will take care of us, the hope that God is working all things for our good, the hope that eventually all of the suffering will go away and we will reside in an eternity, an eternal place where there is no more sorrow or pain or suffering. That's something I talked about last week. Listen to Romans 8, 23 and 24. As we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. We hope for what they already, who hopes for what they already have, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. He's like, look, we're ho- this Christian life is not the end all be all. We think that being a Christian, if you're a Christian, what the Bible says this, like we could become Christians and that makes, that makes going through this life more tolerable. It brings us some joy and some peace that we wouldn't have otherwise, but we still, still deal with the same stuff that everybody deals with. And because of that, we wait for the day when we will no longer have to. You can think about the worst things that you've gone through or the things that you're going through right now. And and what makes Christianity so great is that we have hope despite those things, hope that someday it'll all be better for us. And Paul says in the same way, in the same way that hope helps in suffering, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is the weakness here? It's all that people struggle with. Specifically for Christians, it's all the, the things that are left over from when we weren't Christians. All the things that, that we wish would become different immediately after we become Christians, but we still struggle with them. Our sin, right? Like we wish all sin went away as soon as we gave our lives to Jesus, but it doesn't. Our, our inability to live for God in every moment, you know, like just to continue on and, and, and to serve him. Our, our inability to do all the things that we'd like to do for God, to lead our brothers and sisters to Christ. All of these things that are kind of left over, these are our weaknesses. And, and Paul says the Holy Spirit helps us in these weaknesses. A.T. Robertson says the Holy Spirit lays hold of our weaknesses along with us and carries his part of the burden facing us as if two men were carrying along one end at each time. This word for helping is a word that, that means to share somebody's burden or load with them. And I think, man, to return to this illustration, if you can just... If you can just look at the arms and take this as our overall weakness, these two men here represent in some way the Holy Spirit lifting us up when we are weak, which is always in some ways, right? Holding us up and helping us along. The idea is actually to like carry a a log, two people, one on each side. And, And what Paul is saying is that, look, you're weak. Even as a Christian, you struggle, you have problems, you have difficulties, you don't think like you can go on. But what you need to understand, whether you can see it or not, is the Holy Spirit is on the other side of that weight that you are bearing, lifting it up and helping you move along. Now, if you're here and you know nothing about the Bible, that's okay, but I've said the Holy Spirit a lot. We sang about it. We talked about it in our prayer time. the Holy Spirit, I mean, what do we even mean by that? Well, here's what we believe. We believe that God 
is three persons in one. Uh, we believe in something called the Trinity, and that is three beings are one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and you've probably thought about God the Father. If you think about just God, that's usually what you're thinking about. And you've probably heard about or, or, or celebrated the birthday of Jesus, right? The, the, God, the, for, the form of God who came to earth and dwelt among us. But the Holy Spirit, in, in Christian circles even, is really underrated in what the Bible shows us is that when Jesus went back up to heaven, the Holy Spirit came down to earth to indwell, to come inside of people who give their lives to Jesus. And he does these great things for us. He convicts us and he comforts us and he compels us to do certain things and he leads us and guides us. And so when it says that the Holy Spirit is helping us, it's not some vague thing. It means that he's giving us direction and comfort and he's pushing us to move forward and he's bringing us comfort when we don't pretty good deal I really believe the Holy Spirit is underrated because sometimes we think of these you know magical and supernatural feeling things Uh, but sometimes we just need to remember that the Holy Spirit is inside of us helping us in our daily lives to continue to move forward and do the things that God has called us to do the things that we know we need to do so Paul you go how does this connect to prayer Paul in general says here's the deal you're weak we're weak but the Holy Spirit is helping you. And now he's going to turn to something very specific. Here's what he says next. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Let me just say up front, the Spirit is part of the reason that we have access to God at all. It's one of the only reasons that our prayers actually get up to heaven is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Ephesians 2.18. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us, and Jesus, that allows us to have access to the Father. I mean, we believe that when we pray, our prayers are heard, right? I mean, I hope you believe that, that when you pray, they actually go up into heaven and God listens to them. And the Holy Spirit is a part of the reason that we we can even believe that our prayers are heard. And here it says that he not only allows access to God, but also that he is helping us in our prayer. And, and, and the question is, what, what does that mean? What is he doing? What is, what is the role that the Holy Spirit is praying or is, is doing in our prayers? And first of all, I, I want you to know that this isn't about how to pray. Our weakness here isn't knowing how to pray. Like the disciples asked Jesus, maybe you know this, they said, teach us how to pray. And that's not what's at stake here. That's not the issue. This isn't some, you know, this isn't the idea like, yeah, I don't know how the perfect model, the perfect way, the perfect thing to say. I don't know, you know, what order to go in and all that. I don't know, you know, if I should say amen at the end or not, or do I have to say in Jesus' name? It's not about that. This is about what you're praying. Literally, the, the, the problem that Paul is dealing with in this sentence here, the thing that he is telling you what the solution is for is, is this idea that I've already put before us that we don't know what to pray. We don't know because we're new to Christianity. We don't know because there's so much. We don't know because maybe there's so little in our lives. We don't know what to pray, and that is exactly what Paul is dealing with here. He says the Holy Spirit helps with that. That's good news, right? I mean, I feel good about that. I don't know what to pray. I look around the world and think I'm, I'm paralyzed almost at, at certain points. And even when I know exactly what I want to have happen, I'm not even sure you know, exactly how to say the things that I uh, need to say in order to make that happen or to, uh, to sound like I, I know what I'm talking about or whatever. I don't know what to pray. 
And it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Now listen, this just means to go or to meet a person. The idea is to, making a, a, to make an appeal on behalf of somebody. Uh, it's like going to talk to somebody for somebody else. Have you ever had to do that? I, I think of middle school. And, if, and if you know what I'm going with this already? Like you have a friend and he likes this girl, right? He likes this girl and he's too scared to talk to her. Wait, I should reverse this whole story because I would have been the boy too scared to talk to the girl. So I'm too scared to talk to the girl and I, I, uh, I tell my, my friend, hey, can you just find out what she thinks about you? It happened one time and, I, and he came back and, and I had a girlfriend. And so, man, that's a good friend, right? Uh, I don't actually think we've ever broken up, nor did we ever speak to each other the whole time we were together. We weren't even really together when we were together but it worked out that one time and this is kind of what intercede means we don't know what to pray and the holy spirit takes kind of our our fear and our not knowingness our uncomfortableness with the idea of prayer and when we start praying he 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 takes that and he takes it to the father who resides in heaven now when i think about why this is needed Again, just like, why don't we know what to pray? Uh, I, I watched a lot of Christmas movies. I told you that. I watched a lot of the Hallmark, but I also squeezed in the old Miracle on 34th Street. Great movie. And there's this line, and, and I knew I was preaching on this, and so it stuck out to me. But, but this girl is, doesn't believe in Santa. I think I, it's like 50 years old. We're good, right? Like I, don't, I didn't want to give away Frozen 2, but we're good with Miracle on 34th Street. And, and, uh, and, she doesn't really believe in Santa, and there's this Santa, and he's the real Santa, at least I think, and, and, and she's like, well, not every kid gets what they want, and man, he has just this incredibly logical answer that I think is so important for how we view prayer, and <coughs> this is what Santa says, some children wish for things they couldn't possibly use, like real locomotives or B-29s, isn't that good? Like Santa's not gonna just let you have a, you know, a locomotive when it's bad for you and you wouldn't know how to use it. And, and I would offer that, that when we come to God in prayer, we don't know what's gonna hurt us. We are like children asking for airplanes sometimes. Like, God, I need that new promotion. And God's looking down and going, that's just gonna hurt you. And so he doesn't all say, always say yes, but that, that, just that theology right there, a little theology on why God doesn't say yes to prayers really quickly through Miracle on 34th Street, little theology could make you go, well then if I don't know what to pray, why do it at all? I mean, if God's up there just picking and choosing what he's gonna say yes to, like why, why do it at all? There's these other things like, like that idea, but then uh, sometimes I just think we're absolutely clueless right like we just pray for bad things uh, I love the song unanswered prayers by Garth Brooks and uh, and you think about that sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers and, and what Garth means by that he hasn't said this but I feel like I know him uh, like what Garth really means is that is that like sometimes God is just looking out for your best interest when he says no to your prayers because we're praying things and we're just clueless what's best for us and what's not best for us. We don't really know, right? And so that's one of the problems. And then we're, we are overloaded, I've said that, but then there's this other thing that maybe you're not even gonna think about, but I think that our theology can be one of our weaknesses, right? Like, like we're going, do I pray for suffering to go away? Or do I pray for, for help in the midst of this suffering? Do I pray for it to go away or do I pray for joy? Do I pray for safety or do I pray that no matter what happens, I'll stay faithful to God? And where, where do we fall on that? What do we do? 
And we're weak, we're so weak in understanding the things that we ought to pray. And Paul says, look, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is, is, is going to God for you. And it gets even better than that, I promise. But I think Paul's life even illustrates this. I mean, Paul, the apostle, who writes this down for us under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he understands he's weak. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment, torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is a straightforward illustration of Paul who was telling us about the role of the Holy Spirit in our weakness in prayer, saying, I prayed for something that wasn't for my best interest, theologically. And God knew what was in my best interest. He knew that I needed a thorn in my flesh. He knew that I needed something to help me not become conceited. And so he said no to me. So yeah, we don't know what to pray and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. But what is he actually doing? And here's the biggest question of this entire passage. If you were paying attention, then this probably came to your head. What are the wordless groans? What are the wordless groans in this passage? And I'm just going to be so, and I've read, uh, and I'm just going to be honest with you up front. If you're looking for an easy and definitive answer, you're not going to find it here, and you're probably not going to find it anywhere. Uh, This is a... A uh, somewhat mysterious thing that, that Paul says, these wordless groans. I mean, it's not crystal clear what specifically he is talking about, but I don't think that takes away from us understanding the very meaning of what Paul is saying here. We may not know exactly what the wordless groans are, but we do know exactly what Paul means when he describes this process of the Holy Spirit helping us. So there's a few questions. I mean, first, uh, are the groans the Holy Spirit's or are they ours. Uh, Let me say up front that they're probably not speaking in tongues or a heavenly prayer language. Uh, This is not me saying that we don't believe in those things, but that's simply just not what this passage is about. A lot of people have tried to kind of shove it into that box and make this verse about speaking in tongues and used it to prove speaking in tongues. And it neither proves or disproves the speaking of tongues and its validity in the church now or then. Uh, This is not about that. That's a totally different word. Uh, And this, I would say, too, the groans uh, don't seem to be contentless groans, even if they are wordless groans. And I I know that's difficult for us, right? Because like, eh, that doesn't mean anything, right? But here, what is described is that it's not that, that the groan has no content, but rather it's wordless. It's not contentless. I think we know that that can be true when we think of pain, you ever just been writhing in pain and, and you grunt and, and you, you know that you mean something by it? You may not be able to say words. Have you ever stubbed your toe? I think you either make this kind of sound or you swear. Uh, and, and hopefully you're going with this kind of sound. You're just, uh, and people are going, what's wrong? Are you dying? Are you having a heart attack? Should I call the hospital? And you can hardly get words out, but you mean something by the sounds you're making. And that seems to be what Paul has in mind here. Sounds that are being made that are wordless but have true meaning. Now context is really important here because he's used this groaning idea already a couple times in this passage, Romans 8, 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Romans 8, 23, not only so, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. 
He says the world is groaning for a savior and we are groaning for the culmination of our salvation. And then he says the Holy Spirit intercedes with wordless groans. And here's here's what I think he's referring to. It doesn't change what's happening really, but here's what I I think it is. I think the groans are the, uh, the cries of our hearts that we don't know how to put into meaningful words. It's connected to that not knowing what to pray, right? And sometimes I think we so are so far away from knowing that we just come to God like, oh, help me. I think that's what it's really close to saying is help me. Like we just come to God and we say, help me. It's not dissimilar to what Paul has said in Romans eight fifteen. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. It's coming to God without the words, falling into his arms and saying, Daddy, I just need you, help me. That is what Paul is describing when he says wordless groans. The idea here is that the Holy Spirit identifies with our groans. I love that. He's connecting himself to our groans of pain and struggle and hurt and and not knowing what to do or what to say next. He connects to them. He identifies himself himself with them with the pain of the world and the church and he shares in the longing for final freedom from all of this weakness that we, that we experience. Leon Morris says it this way, great commentary on, on the book of Romans. Paul seems to be saying that when we cannot find words in which to express our prayer and can do no better than make inarticulate sounds, the spirit takes those onus and makes them into effective intercession. That's beautiful, right? Douglas Moo says, when we do not know what to pray for, yes, even when we pray for things that are not the best for us, we need not despair, for we can depend on the Spirit's ministry for perfect intercession on our behalf. Isn't that great? Martin Luther, he exaggerates this thing. I mean, he takes it to just, just he goes far, but he's like this. He says, um, it is not a bad but very good sign if the opposite of what we pray for appears to happen just as it is not a good sign for our prayers uh, to be fulfilled this is so because the counsel and will of God far excel our counsel and will I, I, mean, I don't agree with Martin Luther I want to be on record there but that's how he viewed the passage and in his exaggerated language as Martin Luther will do he says it's better if God just says no and does something else because we don't know what to pray but the Holy Spirit it is taking those wordless groans and he's making them into something meaningful. I have a, a two and a half year old son and so I'm kind of just coming out of the stage with the two and a half year old that uh, where, where he would say things and nobody could understand them but you. You know, you know this. If you've ever been a parent, you know. And he, and he, he communicates pretty clearly now but you know, like six months ago or so, he'd be like, and whoever he's talking to is like, what? And I'd be like, oh, he said he wants a smoothie and a cup of tea, you know? Like, I mean, like, like, come on, are you an idiot? Like, how do you not understand that? And this seems to be the Holy Spirit's role. We are like toddlers. And we come to God like toddlers, not having a clue what to say or how to say it. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes it to God and turns it into something meaningful and important that is for our good. 
And what's really cool is what's said next in Romans 8, 27. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Searching our hearts is uniquely God, uh, godly task in the Bible. He's the one that searches our hearts. Acts 15, 18, God who knows our hearts. That's, how it's, uh, that's what it says there. God knows our hearts and, and he also is in perfect unity with the Holy Spirit and so it all kind of works together so that the Spirit's intercession turns our prayers into something meaningful even when we sound like toddlers. It's a pretty big deal. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he was able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And that is a, a statement about Jesus. And so I'm going to try to draw. I've been nervous about this all morning. I, I told Brandon I may not even go through with this. Um, but but here's, here's what I think happens in prayer. Here's what I think is taking place. There's, there's us right down here. I'll try to stay out of your way. And, and by the way, I've drawn a lot on whiteboards as a teacher. And, and if you asked any of my students uh, how that went, they would just tell you it was awful and we had no idea what was happening, but it, it was funny. Uh, and so I'm gonna do my best. So here's us, we're weak, we don't have muscles. Muscles are going down. Uh, and, and so there's us, and we just don't know what we should pray. But, but we have all this stuff coming at us from the world, right? We live in, that's a world. Uh, we have all this stuff coming at us in the world, and, and we know that we should pray, but we have no idea what we should pray. The Bible seems to say two things. One's not in our passage today, but one is that the Holy Spirit, uh, what's a dove look like? We're just gonna make a bird. Uh, I'm sorry, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is in our lives right here and he is, he is driving our prayers. We should be in tune with what the Holy Spirit is calling us to pray. So, so the first, he's actually, he's pushing us to pray in a certain way and for certain things. But even then, we just mix it all up, right? And we make it a mess. And so out of our mouth comes these prayers. That's, I don't know what that was. Uh, but out of our mouths come these prayers. And then the Holy Spirit, I love this. The Holy Spirit will make him a bird again. He takes these prayers up to the Father in heaven. I'm gonna make a chair. Mm, I'm scared to do this in front of you because he is on the throne and he's inapproachable light, as Paul says. We'll make it a light bulb. That's not a very good light bulb, but you got it. Uh, Pictionary, not my thing. Uh, <laughs> what is it, everybody? Uh, and so he takes this to the Father. But before it even gets to the Father, before it even gets there, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he is taking those prayers, and then he, our Savior, the one who came to earth to die for our sins and came back to life, is then taking, and he's interceding on our behalf with the Father. That's pretty good layers, right? Like I feel pretty comfortable. It's like if you had to talk to somebody and you were scared to talking to them and it went through uh, one person and two people but you knew those people were you know, divine and, and could never mess up. And so this is, this is the picture of prayer that we get. And I think Paul tells us all of this because Paul wants us to know that we should pray. And we get on our knees and we're gonna go, I'm gonna open my mouth, I'm doing this. You know, I'm, I'm really, this is gonna happen. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna do this. But what if I get it wrong? What if I mess it up? What if I don't pray for the right things? What if I don't pray for things that I should pray for? What if I pray for things I shouldn't pray for? I don't know. And there's this picture that looks clearer than this in the Bible of the Holy Spirit guiding our prayers 
taking our prayers up and our wonderful Savior putting them before God. And here's what the next verse says in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts and he is working every single thing for our good. And so if God says yes, To your prayers as a Christian, you can know that it's for your good. And if God says no to your prayers, then you can know that he has answered for your good. For your good. In all circumstances, he's working those ways. Let's not take it out of context. This is connected to prayer. And so, to go back to the main point of the series that we'll come to over and over and over again, just because I have a whiteboard, pray don't let your fear of not knowing what to pray or how to pray what not to pray for or asking for the wrong things stand in the way instead pray and if you want a more specific application for today i would say this first let the holy spirit guide your prayers i think it's a wonderful discipline to start your prayers by saying god (laughs) i'm weak And right now I pray that as I begin to open up my mouth that you would push me to pray for the things that you want me to pray for. I know for me, and maybe this is not common to all people, but there's two levels of prayer. There's one where I'm praying the things that I feel like I need to pray for, and that's good. I have no problem with that. I don't think God has a problem with that. But there's other times where the Holy Spirit is leading me along, and I can feel it, and I feel like I'm on a wave, and I'm riding that wave, and I'm praying for things that I never would have thought to pray for, and I'm praying bigger things than I ever would have just asked for if I was just getting my time in or whatever. And so, so like, really, I mean, like, ask the Holy Spirit to guide your prayers and try to be listening to what the Holy Spirit would do. Uh, It takes putting away the distractions. And then also, trust that when you do pray, even if you don't follow the Holy Spirit, even if you don't sense the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is taking those prayers to heaven and turning them into something good. Now, before I finish, I got just one buffer, just one, you know, warning. This does not mean that we don't do our best to try to, to take on the mind of Christ. I mean, when, uh, when Paul talks about spiritual growth, often he talks about the transforming of the mind. That's something that Paul wants. And we should be doing our best to think like Jesus thought and to be like God. This isn't saying, hey, just, you know, don't even try to pray things that are in line with the will of God or that line up with what you know God would want for you. Saying when you try that and you fail, keep praying. Keep praying. So pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to direct your prayers. Trust the Holy Spirit is going to take your prayers and deliver them to Jesus who will deliver them to the Father in a meaningful way so that the Father can say yes or no to you in the absolute, thing, in the absolute way that is best for you. I want to finish with John Murray who wrote another commentary. He says, as God searches the heart of the children of God, he finds unuttered and unutterable groaning. Though they are thus inarticulate, There is a meddling and intent that cannot escape the omniscient eye of God. They are whole intelligible to him. And furthermore, they are found to be in accordance to his will. Let me pray that you'll pray. Lord Jesus, prayer is hard. And man, like Moses trying to keep his arms up, that is so often how I feel, God, when I'm trying to pray. Just trying to get myself to keep going, trying to uh, think of things, trying not to get distracted trying to pray right, trying to pray meaningful. 
But I thank you, God, this morning that I am not in it alone, that your spirit is both guiding me and interceding for me. Uh, Lord, just like the other day when my, my friend's son was sick, it's like, I just besides healing, like, what do I say? I know I should pray longer, but I just don't know, and I'm sad, and I'm crying, and I just, I trust that you took those tears, and you took them to the Father through Jesus on my behalf, and I thank you for that. I pray that all of us here, God, would be people of prayer. I pray, God, that, that everybody who's listening online would be a person of prayer, and we would never let the excuse or fear stand in the way that we just don't know what to pray but we would bow before you and we would have a conversation with you God and we would trust your grace your infinite wisdom to to take those prayers and to make them into something meaningful I'm just thinking now God I thought about it earlier but I want to I want to say it now Lord uh how you describe the prayers of us God who are your children rising to heaven as as a sweet aroma and Lord, I think sometimes when I pray, pray it's, it's, it's not sweet at all. But I thank you, Lord, that you turn it into something sweet and you accept it as a spiritual act of worship. I pray that all of us would pray in the power and guidance of your Holy Spirit. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.